find something that really pisses you off and then go after it. That's the best motivation you can have as an entrepreneur or innovator. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Feedback Loop, where consciousness and technology collide. This week, we sit down with Raya Bidshari, a neuroscientist and entrepreneur that many of you might recognize from the numerous articles that she's published on SU's very own Singularity Hub. You may also recognize her from a TED Talk she gave in 2013, when I believe she was only 18 years old, entitled, What If We Could Create Infinite Minds? As she'll tell you herself, Raya's got a deep passion for learning and the STEM fields, and in the short six years since her TED Talk, she's gone on to become a highly active or even a founding member of many organizations dedicated to updating our educational system and to promoting curiosity, including SciFest Dubai and Ah Academy. Aside from exploring these fantastic efforts of hers, we will also delve into the mental health epidemic affecting many students around the world, the future of education and how to integrate it with some of the principles of Eastern philosophy, and even about Burning Man and the lessons that it can teach us. Now, I don't believe I'm alone when I say that education lays at the heart of many of the issues facing our society and that it's often there that we find our path to purpose and meaning. So it was a real treat to talk to someone who has so much passion oriented towards making education as exciting and as accessible as possible. And on that note, if you know of someone that you think carries that same passion, don't hesitate to let us know as we want to ensure we can lift up as many voices in this community as possible. For that or any other questions or comments that you might have, feel free to drop us a message at singularityradio at su.org. And as always, if you like what you're hearing, let us know with a share, a review, or a rating and help us guide this experience for all of us so that we can be sure that we're bringing you exactly what you're looking for. I think that's enough for me for now, so let's go ahead and get to it. So everyone, please welcome Raya Bidshari. Thank you so much for joining us, Raya. And uh, before we really start digging into this, I would love if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and what your passions are. Well, thank you for having me. Um, so I was lucky enough to be a young entrepreneur. I launched my first initiative when I was in high school. I was part of the founding team of the Dubai Science Festival, SciFest Dubai, and we were the first science festival in the city. And uh, our mission through SciFest was to actually promote the sciences and technologies through the arts or through what we call STEAM education. So, uh, you know, from there, uh, I began a journey of kind of social entrepreneurship and education. The festival grew, by the way, to have 10,000 visitors in its first year with multiple events and venues and support from uh, the, the Knowledge Authority in the UAE. And from there on, I, I launched multiple other initiatives, including Intelligent Optimism, a social media movement dedicated to getting people to be excited about the future and has over 500,000 followers. Uh, we launched Cafe Scientifique Dubai, which is an initiative to get people to talk about science outside an academic setting. Uh, and I then went on to university, Boston University, to study neuroscience, uh, where I also did some research and um, did some research in both neuroscience and uh, kind of technology ethics, science ethics as well. 
And throughout my journey of doing things and launching initiatives, the more kind of social impact or entrepreneurial work I did, the more I saw a mismatch between what young people needed to know in order to have a positive impact on the world versus what traditional education focuses on. So for me, my experience with formal education was a very frustrating one because I was someone who loved learning, but saw a lot of flaws with how that process was um, being done within uh, universities and in many cases, high schools as well. So uh, I'm now an edtech entrepreneur. I'm founder and CEO of All Academy, and I can tell you a little bit about that uh, in a bit. Uh, but essentially, my passions lie in um, education and popularizing scientific thinking, uh, popularizing using technologies to have a positive impact on the world, but also promoting a worldview uh, that incorporates both the kind of Eastern philosophies with the Western rational philosophies. What was it that made you at such a young age just decide that you really wanted to dedicate so much of your time and energy to changing that system? Of course, it sounds like you were just not happy with the way modern education was meeting people's needs. But I think a lot of students probably find that in a lot of ways, but they don't turn around and make uh, a big science festival and start studying neuroscience. Do you feel like there was something for you that uh, ignited that? I think a couple of things. First, I was lucky to be surrounded by other people who felt the desire to have to change things. I was part of that community of change makers. So, you know, my co-founders with SciFest, uh, Rowan Roberts and Laura Matosian were incredible. They were also like, okay, let's do this. And it really helps to be surrounded by other doers uh, who kind of have that attitude of problem solving as opposed to complaining. I think that uh, definitely helped catalyze things, just being around the right people and having the right kind of mentors and motivators uh, around me. Uh, but at a fundamental level, I think it has always been the only way I know how to cope to the burden of the challenges that I've been faced with. So, you know, going in a little deeper with my educational experience, especially in university, you know, it's something that a lot of young people look forward to, right? You're like kind of preparing for your whole life, the acceptance. Like in my case, I traveled from across the world. My parents worked really hard to be able to send me from like Iran to Dubai and then from Dubai to like uh, the United States. I went there with no family, no connections, with all these dreams and ambitions, right? And you get there and you're confronted with this system that is so heavily focused on this kind of industrial era methodology of kind of memorization and retention and just lecturing, motivated by grades and extrinsic rewards as opposed to any intrinsic meaningful motivation. Um, it's, it's just a lot of meaningless learning. Like it's a pattern of, okay, you're going to learn to pass an exam and then you pass it in the next semester, you've forgotten everything you did the previous semester and then you kind of repeat that cycle. Uh, we're seeing that, you know, across the world, we're focusing on content knowledge and grades and as opposed to the 21st century skills and values that young people need. And don't, get it, don't even get me started on the declining mental health of a lot of students. Uh, you know, I, I personally saw so many of my friends just overwhelmed with things like the workload and like lack of meaningful guidance to make sense of a very critical period in their lives. So many of them would go to counselors and just kind of get prescribed meds in the beginning. And this is a universal issue, right? We're seeing that newspapers like The Guardian are actually launching sections called student mental health, like a whole category dedicated to articles and research that's coming out now. And the question you have to ask yourself is, why are so many students unhappy with the system? Why are they so uninspired? What's going on here? What's the root of the problem? So for me, all of that was very overwhelming. Um, in the beginning, it was a very negative, kind of heavy experience. And um, 
And that kind of slowly catalyzed into just a positive the channeling it into doing something uh, about it. Uh, specifically, I remember I was at a conference around this time when a lot of this was kind of coming to the surface for me. I was, um, and Luke Nosek, one of the founders of PayPal, was speaking. And he said something along the lines of, uh, you know, find something that really pisses you off and then go after it. That's the best motivation you can have as an entrepreneur or innovator. And I had heard similar things before from people like Peter Diamandis, you know, the world's biggest problems are the world's biggest opportunities. But I really needed to hear that at that point, at that specific time. And that was kind of one of the catalysts of um, eventually launching All Academy and doing something to fix one part of the problem. It's interesting. Do you think that um, the change in technology is impacting the mental health as well? Uh, you know, I'm obviously a, a huge fan of technology as well, but I, I wonder, I don't know the, the data on it, but I wonder if there has always been an overwhelming uh, fatigue or just sense of um, inadequacy with our education system ever since the Industrial Revolution, or if that's something that's really ramped up as we've either been exposed to digital technology and, and that kind of analog system doesn't really meet our needs anymore, or if there's something else where, you know, we are so addicted maybe to the, the dopamine drip of our smartphones that it's hard to focus on an order system. Just to kind of play devil's advocate here, do you think that the technology is in some ways playing a role in that that mental health in the education system? I think at large it does. So I, for me, technology is a double-edged sword. It's not good or bad by itself. It's how we use it as human beings that makes it good or bad, right? So, um, it, you know, technology can be used to do a lot of things that actually make us feel happier. Like it can connect us with other people from around the world, making us feel less lonely, right? It can help solve a lot of challenges all the way from medicine to uh, things like climate change that can contribute to our overall well-being and happiness. And it can be a resource liberating mechanism. So technology has increasingly uh, given us greater access to things like education, food, medicine, transportation, and all of this can contribute to our well-being, as you see in Maslow's hierarchy, right, kind of helping us meet those basic needs before we can get to self-actualization. On the other hand, I do think a lot of kind of a lot of internal issues with thoughts often come from not being present and being trapped in certain kind of rigid ways of thinking. And this is just kind of ancient ancient mysticism, your ancient Eastern philosophies, it's, it all comes down from how you think about the world and your inability to stay in the present moment, right? You either fixated on the past or fixated on anxieties about the future. And in some ways, technology can make that worse because it can, it, it prevents us from being in the present moment because we're stuck in our smartphones, we're stuck in the social media channels. So I do think there is that double-edged source. So you're absolutely right to point that out. In education, I think it's much more expansive than that. In education, I think the system we designed has just not been designed to bring about awe, wonder, happiness, meaning. The system that has been designed that is prominent uh, across majority of universities and schools around the world was an industrial era model that was designed to bring about factory style workers that did the same thing again and again. And we've kind of built a layers of innovation on the existing system, right? So we've brought in the technology, we've brought in the blended learning mechanisms, the AI, a lot of MOOCs, you know, but those are still built on top of the kind of fundamental uh, core that is flawed. And when you have all of these young minds go into a very expensive system where they're piling up a lot of debt, not acquiring the core 21st century skills like creativity, imagination, digital literacy that they really need to survive the future of work, 
They're not learning about things that actually give them a sense of that they're a part of a grand narrative in human history. You know, like the existential intelligence, the philosophy, the big picture thinking is not at the core of most curriculums. They're not given guidance as to how to truly find happiness, purpose, meaning, you know, in life, the life skills. And they're just put into a system that's all about memorization and getting grades and finding jobs and just other kinds of extrinsic motivations over an expensive four-year period. So there's much other kind of issues that are contributing to, I think, the declining uh, mental health of students. Yeah, I would love to keep going on that a little bit. One of the things that I that you mentioned is just how expensive university is, especially in America and the Western world, you know, uh, outrageously expensive. You're basically signing up for debt a hundred percent. Um, with that in mind and with, you know, my limited knowledge of neuroscience and Maslow's hierarchy, it's my understanding that if you're kind of towards the lower end of Maslow's hierarchy and around the physical needs level, um, and you're in a scared and stressed mindset, your amygdala is just active and you're actually not able to process new information very well is my understanding so there's this trick where we have the people who probably need the education or want the education most can't really access it because they financially and mentally can't access the mindset necessary to start looking at critical thinking start looking at creativity and um do you have any ideas on how you kind of help overcome such a double-edged sword in that in that way yeah it's it's a challenge that we face with you know we're faced with every single day uh with all academy especially so there's a couple of things there that you know i want to what i want to highlight the role of neuroscience you're absolutely right to point that out because in the past education was somewhat of an art you know everyone kind of did it their way and you had a feeling certain things were working and others weren't but what we're seeing now is that it's increasingly being being treated like a science so a lot of teaching strategies and the most effective ones are now scientifically driven uh, in two ways one by actually looking at how the brain works and how we can use understanding from neuroscience to complement more effective teaching strategies for instance there's a wealth of you know evidence to suggest that Creating low-stress environments actually allows cultivating in a more effective learning, just as you just described. Having the amygdala uh, kind of t tuned down a little bit is very helpful. But also we're taking a scientific approach that doesn't necessarily involve neuroscience. So actually having focus groups of students learning in different ways and using the data from that to see what methodology is most effective for teaching. So it's the rise of what we're calling either neuroeducation or mind-brain education, which is new interdisciplinary field where education is starting to be increasingly treated as a science. And that's very valuable. And in terms of how we, how do we change the system? How do you overcome the barriers? It's, it, the, the challenge is that there is a legacy system in place. And when you try to change it, like any other thing in the world, there's a kind of immune reaction to it. And with education, you get that kind of immune reaction um, from multiple parties. So the parents, you know, might have parents of students might have certain traditional mindsets. They still want to see their kids come home with report cards. They have certain metrics of success that they grew up with that they'd like to see. You have university admissions that, you know, or, or employer admissions that may still require a high school degree or undergraduate degree and certain kind of SATs, grades, test scores, and that feeds into the system. You have institutions that have 
that uh, you know, for especially the for-profit ones that have been mon- have monetized the broken system, so it's in their financial interest to keep things the way that they are. Uh, and you have the students themselves, actually. You know, one of the most crazy things for me to realize was how many students could see that there was a problem but would ignore it. Because I feel like if you know, if you get a phone and it comes in broken, you get upset and send it back. If you go to a masseuse and they break your bones, you get you sue them, right? But with our education system, even though we're all just miserable in it, we kind of just accept it for what it is. So there's multiple stakeholders here um, that uh, that are kind of staggering change. There's two core ways I think uh, uh, we can change it. You know, one is thought leadership itself. So my team and I, we don't just do marketing. We actually, you know, give a lot of talks. We have our own podcast, we the adjacent possible podcast. We have a medium channel. So we're actively trying to raise awareness uh, through kind of advocacy about the failings of traditional models and what can be done differently. And another way is to actually just create this alternative track. And we're seeing a rise of innovative schools and universities that are just completely overhauling the system and doing things very differently and in a way that's much more relevant in the digital age. And they're using that as an example of, look, here is all the data from this track. Here is you know, all the students graduating from this kind of system are far more employable, far happier, far more um, ready to thrive in this you know, new imagination or digital age. And use that as, an ex- as a kind of disruption strategy to get everyone else kind of up to speed and so I, I really think that's the only way it's being brave enough to do things differently and, and at the same time raising awareness about the work that you're doing so that others can get inspired um and motivated to do to follow the same path so that sounds like a good uh chance to talk about academy so would you say that is your attempt to help build that other track and if so what is the What's the ultimate goal there? You know, you want to bring awe and wonder back into it and help readjust the the education system. But let's say you have the chance to look at an ideal world. You can you can kind of wave wave a wand to reshape the future. Where do you want to see that evolve into? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, all academy. What we do, we're we at the moment we offer future focused and wisdom based curricula for high school students. So, what we saw was a lot of ed tech companies were built were building amazing layers of technology, like using AI for personalized learning, using blockchain for more uh, secure credentialing certifications. Uh, but they were still kind of building those layers on top of outdated content and outdated curriculum itself. So we were seeing the actual curriculum was not being innovated. So we, we've come and done is through an online platform, but also offline programming like workshops, boot camps. We actually focus on all the skills, value systems, and mindsets that should be at the core of our curriculum, but aren't. So these include mindsets like moonshot thinking, intelligent optimism, growth mindsets, skills like creativity, innovation, entrepreneurship, digital literacy, critical thinking, um, and even life skills like finding your ikigai, your purpose, uh, having Nikan and gratitude, uh, all the way to exponential technologies and ethical use of technology. So they're interdisciplinary, they're soft skill focused, and they're also very interactive in that all of our students are actively participating in the process and doing exercises and activities and working on global challenges and local challenges as they complete the curriculum. Uh, we're an award-winning team. We were just up for three awards at the BET Education Conference in the Middle East. We've won many others from around the world. 
And um, we've been getting a lot of great social proof. And right now we're a supplement to education. Uh, we This is kind of an extracurricular opportunity. But our long-term vision is to keep fleshing out the curriculum until we are an alternative track to education. And, you know, when I think of the schools of the future, I imagine them very differently than what you see today. So even from the very kind of physical spaces, you know, I don't see the schools of the future being boxed classrooms uh, or kind of lecture settings. I see them as imagine your futuristic Google co-working space or a place where young minds go to to actually work in teams and work on challenges and express themselves. In that kind of school, the emphasis is more on soft developing those soft 21st century skills, uh, having blended learning methodologies where you, when it's, you know, with the content and technical skills, you can learn it at home. But when you come to school, the teacher acts as a facilitator and guide to help you design your own personalized learning pathway, uh, you know, where you actually collaborate in teams and uh, work with other extended ecosystems like corporations, startups, not-for-profits to actually get real life experience. So those are just some of the elements that you can start bringing into a school. And, um, and they're not difficult. You know, they're not, it's not like we don't have the technology to do them. It's just a question of how the education system or the learning experience is structured. And um, yeah, that's, that's really how I imagine a place, uh, the schools of the future being like, and, and that, that kind of, alert, and I think that kind of a system doesn't have the traditional grades or a traditional subjects. It's a question of going in there and saying, what is my purpose in life? What problems in the world do I want to solve? Uh, what am I good at? What do I love? And kind of ha having a personalized experience uh, in a meaningful setting with educators that act as guides and facilitators to help you reach, reach that end goal. So some people might argue that if you change society, for instance, to one where there's basic income, where people get, you know, a thousand dollars a month, and they get all of this time to do self-guided uh, education and self-actualization, and can just play at their passions. Um, a, a lot of people would find a, either a lack of meaning because they're not earning anything, or there would uh, they would actually be overwhelmed by the the freedom of being able to choose anything. Do you do you think that's a, a realistic situation, or do you think the reason that we feel that way is because we're kind of projecting our current mindset into that and that future landscape. I definitely think the reason a lot of us feel that way is because we're projecting our um, kind of current mindset into that. So I'm, this is actually my last call before I head to Africa burn, which is uh, the regional burning man event that happens in South Africa. And the reason I, I'm bringing that up is because, you know, many people like to talk about an event like burning man as an example of a post-AI society where everyone has basic income and actually uses their free time to uh, indulge in radical creativity, radical self-expression, having a positive impact on the world. And the reason that's a great example, because if you, if for, you know, for listeners who aren't aware with what a burn is and the principles, you know, it operates on 10 principles such as gifting, radical self-expression, uh, self-reliance, um, communal responsibility. And um, it's essentially every burn is about a week, seven to 10 days. And it's essentially this 
kind of community or city that forms that operates around these principles. So it's kind of a microcosm of some of the best thing, best aspects of our humanity. And it's an, it's a perfect case study of how certain mindsets and values and principles can allow us to shape future societies in a way that allows the best side of human nature to thrive. And at a burn, you know, no one is actually working. There is no money, right? It's all, it's a gifting economy where everyone spends that free time actually having a positive impact on others, expressing themselves, indulging in creative play. And it's the most meaningful experience for a lot of people. I know there's a perception that it's a big party, but for a lot of people, it's, it's an exceptionally meaningful, creative, um, spiritual, uh, and purpose-driven experience. And that's a perfect example of what our lives could be like if our basics, basic needs and desires were covered and we had all of this free time to actually creatively express ourselves. Like I personally never understood that mindset because I always think, oh, I wish I had more time to write. I wish I had more time to learn new things and to maybe learn an instrument or actually start doing more art. And, I, I, and I'm sure that if more people um, experience something like a burn or experience something like any kind of spiritual experience that made them realize that there is much more to life than just working. We get our purpose from a lot of other places that don't necessarily involve uh, relying on the traditional economic structures that we've built. Yeah, speaking of Burning Man and just kind of like that mindset, why do you feel so driven by awe and wonder? Like, I would just love to to hear your thoughts on why that's so important to humanity. Yeah. So what a burn does, it is shatters all of your conditioning um, from the default world, as we call it. So, you know, we because we have been so used to certain economic structures, certain kind of societal structures, we, that they've become intuitively built into our default mode of thinking. And we don't realize it. And a lot of us, our imagination kind of dies off because it's very hard for us to imagine something radically different. Like imagine a world without money, right? Imagine a world where we're all, all building art. It's really hard for us to visualize that. And that's because we just, we're all raised into a system where this feels like the only objective reality that there is. You know, these a capitalistic consumerist world that we live in feels like the only way a world could operate because it's all we've ever known with a few exceptions of smaller models in history. And what I find so incredible about a burn is that, that all of that is shattered. All of that has gone away. Everything from the way people communicate to the way people exchange value and express themselves is radically different from what you are used to. So it's just kind of, it's an excellent environment for stimulating the imagination of what could be, what could your life could be like, that would be very different, what your company could be like and what your, what society at large could be like. And it's the reason a lot of innovators like Elon Musk, like the founders of Google go there, right? It's the reason Silicon Valley is there at that domain Burning Man every year. And beyond that creativity and imagination that it sparks, for me, what I find even more captivating is the freedom. And, um, you know, and I don't just mean freedom to just in the traditional sense, a lot of people in Western societies think they have freedom, right? Because technically, you know, compared to a lot of, let's say, middle parts of the Middle East, you do, right? You can express yourself without facing a consequence, serious legal consequences. For the most part, you can dress however way you want. 
However, without realizing it, we're all kind of going in with certain social norms, right? Like this shirt that I'm wearing right now, I can say that I chose to buy this shirt, but actually subconsciously and consciously, it's influenced by fashion trends, the trends of our era, whatever that society decided to put on the rack for me to choose from. Uh, you know, it's it, we think we have this freedom and it's until you go to a brand that you realize that the way we dress or the way we interact with others is actually strongly shaped by many kind of societal norms and expectations and fear of judgment and, and, and so on. So the, the freedom is just so liberating. And it was a surprising aspect of it that I really enjoyed is getting there and realizing that I wasn't free. Because at this point, I had moved out of the Middle East. I lived in the United States, Canada. And um, I, going there, you experience a level of freedom that you just didn't think was possible after having lived in the Western world. Yeah, you mentioned a lot of uh, Eastern philosophy and ideas of empathy and, and ego, uh, but it sounds like a little bit of what you're getting at is a, a sense of like non-attachment to culture. Like, do, do you think these are really crucial parts um, for education and maybe even the fundamental levels that we really need to focus on? Like, is that the starting point and then the education comes after? Absolutely. Like, you know, it's actually, they're, they're part of our core curriculum, everything you mentioned, empathy, compassion, mindfulness, versus Eastern philosophies. They're part of our core curriculum at All Academy, because right now for a lot of people, if they do teach it, it's kind of an extracurricular afterthought. Um, you know, if you look at most of the problems that we have in our world today, most global challenges, they all, the majority of them boil down to issues in human nature. So things like lack of adaptive foresight, lack of expanded thinking, unethical behavior, inflated egos, tribalism, right? These are the core of the majority of global and local problems that we have in our world today. Like let's take, take, take something like climate change, right? You see lack of adaptive, lack of sufficient foresight shaping a lot of politicians' views and making decisions within their term as opposed to thinking of the future of humanity. Uh, unethical behavior by corporations and other major parties can contribute to increasing carbon emissions. And you have things like um, it, 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 tribalism shaping, it, pre preventing people from taking a global mindset to this problem. So one of the most biggest existential issues facing us today actually really boils down to human nature and human flaws. And the way we fix it is by teaching those very things. It all boils down to how we educate young minds from the very core. Imagine, imagine if we taught everyone to be mindful, to be compassionate, to be empathetic. Imagine if we taught everyone to feel the sense of interconnectivity with humanity, nature, and the rest of the universe at large. Imagine if we taught everyone to take a cosmic perspective when it comes to their own mission in life and uh, the future uh, of our species and taught them the ethics and morality and why those things are so powerful. Like if every single person on earth received that kind of an education, I think we'd be living in a, a radically different world than we see today. I think that's the key. That's the key way that we can create an exciting future for ourselves. Do you think the path there is just by creating these alternative tracks or do you see other ways to kind of pierce these very established systems? Because I wonder how easy it is to educate people who live in these reality tunnels, who live, you know, um, for, for whatever sense of identity they get from it, you know, whether it's a religion or a nationality, um, or even just a tribe, whether it's, you know, vegan or carnivore, wh whatever it is, we have so much information out there in the world that people can use to 
kind of buffer themselves against other ideas and can find something that tells them their way is the right way. I feel like in a lot of ways, people who find Awe Academy and maybe these ideas are fortunate people. You know, they, they're people who have the fortune of being around people who have had access to these kind of ideas, maybe just as a luxury of being in, a, in a, an environment that allows more of that free thinking. So is, is, is there just a cultural zeitgeist that has to change? Do we, you know, push for policy shifts? Like how do we get to those bubbles that don't want to have their, their mind expanded, who don't want to have an ego death, who, you know, aren't terribly interested in spirituality or any ideas like that, but would rather just make money? Yes. That's a very good question. And I, I, look, I definitely, we definitely don't have a clear cut answer to that, but I, I do think that Look, when we talk about education, it's such a broad term, right? It, 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 there's the formal education of what you get from institutes, schools, academies. And then there's more of the kind of thought leadership type of education, like the work Singular University does and shifting mindsets, more exponential thinking. There's the kind of education that comes very indirectly, often through pop culture, media, movies, TV shows, you know. Um, and then there's like the other layers of like more societal and cultural views towards things. So there's definitely room to innovate at each of these layers. Um, you know, our academy is focused on one part of it, and I gen- definitely don't definitely don't believe that we alone can kind of revolutionize that. I think it's going to take a paradigm shift of individuals, organizations, at tech companies, universities, kind of emerging and doing more of this. Um, but it's all about shifting mindsets. It's the question is how can you change how people think? And I think that every, if every person in the power of decision did it in within their means, it, it would have a compounded effect, right? So if certain po- a group of politicians decided to actually start advocating for more powerful and impactful policies in education, and then at the same time, you had some universities starting to do things very differently, and then you had high schools, and if you have to think of it that way, and I think it's very overwhelming as an individual kind of change maker to try to put that all on yourself. But I think if every person said, okay, how can I change the world around me? How can I inspire the people around me to think differently and to take more of a meaningful um, path forward in humanity? And if everyone did that, or if enough people did that, that would be a far more um, practical way of looking at how are we going to change this? So that probably ties in a little bit to intelligent optimism. That's an intelligently optimistic point of view that you're taking there. Um, What, what do you think keeps you like optimistic in spite of, you know, all of the drama that is taking place in the world right now? You mentioned before, you know, there's a lot of issues with tribalism, um, you know, greed, climate change, a million other things that we can uh, mention without <laughs> getting too cynical about it all. But uh, what, what keeps you optimistic in spite of everything? Well, I like to think of myself as a scientifically minded and rational person. And uh, and the reality is that the world has been getting better. Like the data has proved that at this point. Now, it, you know, optimism gets a bad rep. Optimism is usually associated with being naive or being kind of um, wearing rose-tinted glasses and ignoring the issues of society. But intelligent optimism, emphasis on intelligent, is all about being optimistic about the future in a rational way based on data, based on evidence, based on, uh, based on human history, and based on science. And the reality is we're living longer, happier, and wealthier lives than any other point in human history. 
And that now that doesn't mean that we don't have problems, right? To say that the world is getting better does not mean that it's perfect. We still have a lot of pressing issues that we need to address. And in many ways, it feels like we're going through a time of flux right now with various global um, issues that we're seeing. But it's all about recognizing, okay, we've come this far as a species. You know, 99.9% of the species that have ever lived on Earth are extinct. But we as human beings have made it this far. And not only have we made it this far, we have, a spa- we have made space programs. We've actually gone far enough to understand ourselves and it actually, you know, get higher up in that hierarchy so that we actually have a more spiritual kind of elevated consciousness. And we've gotten this far. Now, how can we use that, uh, use that reality to empower us to actually solve uh, emerging problems? And I think it's so important to have this mindset because you know, it's very hard to believe, mainly because news and media tells you a very different story. Um, our brains are wired actually to focus more on negative news. You know, evidence from neuroscience shows us that we just our amygdala fires far more strongly in the presence of bad news and good news. We are more likely to remember negative news. We are more likely to actually dedicate more regions of our brain to process it. And it makes sense because, you know, our, our neurological hardware was designed for the African savannas in order to, where we needed to know what was dangerous and where we really needed to know what the threats were. And newspaper agencies and the media knows this. Hence the saying, if it bleeds, it leads. You know, for I think for every 17 negative news stories, you only get one positive one. Not because there's only seven, you know, for every 17 bad things that happens, there's only one positive thing that happens, but because that's just what our brains are wired to pay more attention to. And if you're a newspaper that wants to, or a media channel that wants to maximize profits and viewership, you're going to go with that methodology. And so imagine being a young person, listening to the news, watching the news, and kind of seeing this every day growing up. Imagine what kind of impact that has on your psyche and your motivation to actually have a positive impact on the world. So it was so important for us to include this in our curriculum, this mindset, because if we want to inspire young minds to go about and solve local and global challenges, they really need to be intelligently optimistic. Otherwise, you just kind of take a backseat and think, where well, we're all doomed. Um, what's the point of all of this? And just the last thing there, like I really, there's a beautiful quote by Steven Pinker in his latest TED Talk where he says, you know, human progress isn't about everything getting better for everyone all at the same time. That would be a miracle. Human progress is not a miracle, but about problem solving. And that's what all the global challenges we are faced with, you know, they're not just the end of the world's doomsday scenarios. They're just problems that need to be solved. And solving those problems will create new problems, which in return need to be solved. And that's just the trajectory of human progress. All right. Well, I'll leave it there because that kind of puts a nice wrap on it all. Um, are there any closing thoughts that you'd like to to give to everybody, a call to action or maybe some support we can give you in your efforts? Sure. Well, you can check us out on awacademy.org. That's A-W-E-C-A-D-E-M-Y.org. And yeah, we're, you know, we 
I really meant it when I said, I don't think it's going to take one organization to change things. Um, that's why collaboration is at the key of what we do. We've partnered up with organizations with like the Millennium Project, Foresight University, and uh, it, 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 incredible award-winning educators from around the world and incredible change makers from around the world. So if you're someone who wants to collaborate or uh, explore, or even just have a chat about how we can help one another, uh, please check us out on our website and there's a contact form. Please reach out to us. Um, I'd always be happy to have a conversation with other change makers. Thank you so much, Rai, for spending some time with us uh, before you go down to the savannah and turn it into a creative playland. <laughs> Thank you for having me.